Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, editor of the Herald Times. Today, my co-host is Gretchen Frazee, senior news editor at WFIU, WTIU. And we are going to be talking about uh, water and clean clean water, actually. Um, uh, the impetus for this program is that E. coli levels in Brown County have recently been reported at an extremely high level. Uh, but Brown County isn't the only area in the state that's struggling with wastewater disposal. Many counties in Indiana have outdated sewer systems that need to be redeveloped. And this week we're going to talk about that problem and other issues involving keeping water clean in uh, Indiana and in our area. We have two guests with us in the studio. Bruno Piggott is Assistant Commissioner from the Indiana Department of Environmental Management's Office of Water Quality. And also Frank Nerwicki is with us. He's a lecturer at the Indiana University in uh, the School of Public and Environmental Affairs. And he's been, he has a long history with uh, city government in both Bloomington and Ellettsville. can talk a lot about uh, city and municipalities and their issues with, with water and wastewater. So if you want to join us, please phone us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348. And you can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. So, Bruno and Frank, thanks for coming in today. Oh, thank you. And thank Gret- you. Gretchen, great to be with you. Good to be here. All right. So we're, we're going to talk about um, – we're going to sort of jump off by talking about Brown County. That was one of the, the issues that got us thinking about this. And I think we have a couple of – cuts uh, from a news story done recently. Yeah, so we've done a couple news stories on this um, looking at some of the E. coli levels in Brown County, and they are extremely high, um, thousands of times higher than what's the allowable limit for um, pool closures. So we talked to John Kennard. He's the environmental health specialist for Brown County, and um, he explained... um, in one of in one of the interviews that we did with him, some of the E. coli testing that they've been doing, um, and let's hear what he has to say. When we first started doing it, and of course, um, we did it in one creek um, south of Bean Blossom, and we took it at various levels as we got further and further from Bean Blossom, and it just so happened that a tributary of one of the creeks was running through this couple of this family's yard. And I happened to notice that uh, because I'd already gotten some results, I knew the E. coli was in these creeks, but I happened to notice that there were a bunch of kids' toys around this creek. So I got some more samples uh, right there at the, at the residence. And then when those samples came back, I immediately went out to the house. And I told the mom, happened to answer the door, explained to her who I was and why I was there. And I gave her the results of the test, and she said, I just want to thank you for this. My son is a cancer survivor. I have tried to get him to stay out of this creek, and I can't see And, you know, kids are drawn to water. I mean, it's just a, it's a fact of life. And I said, well, he definitely needs to stay out of this creek. And, you know, so there's a public awareness, there's a public education. Uh, you don't want to eat the fish. Clearly, there's a problem in uh, in that area of Brown County. Uh, Bruno, how common is it uh, to hear stories like this from around the state? Uh, this time of year when people are seeking to go out and swim and fish, um, we do hear it. We, we call it the recreational season at the state of Indiana. It's when people really want to get in the water and, and play. Of course, kids want to play all year round in the water and creeks. Um, we do hear about this um, in, in different parts of the state. Oftentimes, um, the pollution caused by E. coli comes from a variety of sources. One of those sources we call non-point sources. Non-point sources uh, can be wildlife. It can be um, um, contributions from agricultural fields. It can be from failed septic systems. Um, and then we have a point source point sources of pollution, that is maybe wastewater treatment plants that aren't 
operating correctly and are not controlling the levels of E. coli that are coming from their system. Mm-hmm. And in Brown County, I think what you found is septic systems are a big issue, right? Yeah. Let's, let's try to play one more clip here from John Kennard. Um, he talks about failed septic systems and how people are inappropriately trying to fix their problems. Just recently, we found a septic system that was having a problem, so the homeowner just ran a trench from the septic tank out to the creek, got caught by one of his neighbors, uh, the neighbor never called us, and then uh, decided, well, he'll just dig a pit and run it in there, but the failure was still a failure. And then we caught it. Uh, The house went up for sale. So, you know, those kind of things happen on a weekly basis. That's not unusual to find two or three a week. Um, Sometimes we find them when the sale of the home during an inspection. Sometimes we find them when there may be, uh, say, a divorce issue or the next-door neighbor's kid beats up the other kid or something. I mean, we don't find them all, but we we find a lot of them. And it's it's such an issue that in some instances, and the lots are small, the systems are antiquated, that the only reasonable solution is to uh, have a sewer system. And, you know, financially, if you've got houses, you know, a mile apart or three-quarters of a mile apart, that's not financially feasible to do that. But in clusters, for instance, if you looked in the beam blossom demographics, we're looking at approximately about 125 uh, potential uh, septic systems connected to a sewer, and now all of a sudden it becomes realistic. It becomes financially feasible to look at that. Now that was from John Kennard, who, Kennard, who's the environmental health specialist for Brown County. Uh, Frank, you've been involved with uh, with government in a fairly small town, not quite like uh, Bean Blossom or Brown County. But um, how how difficult is it to to sort of uh, get the infrastructure needed to take care of these issues? It, it's very difficult. Um, actually, the uh, town of Ellettsville had a problem before I arrived on the scene. And um, that was an issue on growth and actually being able to uh, uh, grow and actually have jobs and, and try to improve the area. Uh, they stepped up. Um, Ellettsville and the area rural uh, sewer districts got together, built a plant. And it's, they're still paying for it for the town of Ellettsville. But it's allowed them to go ahead and actually have growth and actually safety health issues to make sure that everything's covered. So um, that's a big issue. Mm-hmm. What, what would have happened had they not done that? Uh, uh, IDEM and some other people would step in and actually have a cease to uh, uh, proceed. Basically, you can't have any more hookups. You can't have any more septic uh, fields. Southern Indiana, the clay and some of the other things here are difficult for a, a septic system to work. Mm-hmm. Now, Bruno, in, in an area like that in Brown County, I mean, it's, uh, there's no sewer out there, right? I mean, so everybody's on septic. Um, what can they do if, they, if there's no will of government to bring a sewer system out to them? What are, what are their alternatives? Uh, there are a number of things that uh, can be done. Uh, one one um, thing, for, for fee- people that live in areas where um, bringing sewers is, is not realistic because of the low population level or, or um, the difficulty of running sewers out there from a, a geographical standpoint is um, putting in place septage management districts. Some uh, areas of the state um, do that. That is, it's a, it's a system which allows um, an entity to come out and pump out septic tanks so that they make sure they're working properly. But that has limited usefulness, and in, in it, it doesn't work so well in areas where the soils are not um, appropriate for septic tanks or where the lot sizes are too small. And frankly speaking, there are those areas of the state where that's um, the case. Um, and the best solution is to put in a, a cluster system with a smaller treatment system that helps to um, improve the treatment and make sure that it meets water quality standards. Um, and, and then there's the formation of regional sewer districts that can run um, sewer systems in 
um, in areas. And, and I believe that area has a regional sewer district. The question that some people raise is whether or not uh, sewer systems uh, should be put in place by some who believe that the placement of sewer systems brings development and growth in an area, and they like the rural characteristics of their area. But in terms of protecting our water quality, um, running a sewer system in an area it is a, a reasonable solution. Mm-hmm. Our phone numbers are 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. And you can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. I, I did want to ask, you know, a lot of these small areas just don't have the resources to to address these problems. Um, and we know that there are some things that the state can provide. How does that work? Um, I know there's something called an imminent danger classification. Can you explain how a city or a town or a region w- would do this and what kind of resources they might get? There are financial resources that are available for communities that want to put in sewer systems. The There's a a fund of money called the State Revolving Fund that exists in the state of Indiana that will loan uh, money to systems, communities uh, across the state to reduce the cost of putting in these systems. And they actually help keep the the rates at a more affordable level. Also, there's an organization that's attached to the Department of Agriculture, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, called Rural Development. And Rural Development does provide loans to small communities as well. And the loan length of time is much longer, so the rates they need to charge their residents are lower. So there are financial resources out there for communities. In rural areas, there are also technical resources and people who can speak the language of wastewater who might not be um, uh, too too rural areas as well. Um, There's the Rural Community Assistance Program that exists out there that provides support as well from a technical perspective. There's also the uh, uh, office of uh, Indiana Office of Community and Rural Affairs, and uh, they actually have different districts throughout the state, and Brown County is in the South Central District, and I believe uh, Matt uh, Crouch is the person to contact there for Brown County, so they could actually do some work also Mm -hmm. with them. Well, I want to Talk about uh, you know how important these issues you know um, are, and they're things that, that people uh, like me don't think about every day. You know, we turn on our faucet, we expect clean water to come out, we flush our toilet. That's you know, and we don't worry about it anymore. If you're working in uh, town government or city government, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Frank, people maybe maybe are paying more attention to whether their their streets are paved or whether they're getting a new park. These are just things they don't necessarily want to think about. About but when you were involved in city government, both in Bloomington and, and Ellettsville. I mean, how much time did you spend on this kind of issue? The, the, uh, obviously, Bloomington and, and Ellettsville uh, are advanced in, in actually looking at that. They're very well um, uh, planning on, on the area. So actually, they're looking at capital improvement programs to their infrastructure. Uh, so I can't say enough good things about Bloomington and actually Ellisville has actually come along a great deal also. The problem area is other areas throughout the state of Indiana, Bruno can actually uh, vouch for this, they um, – infrastructure is buried. I mean if the street – you can see the pothole. If it's actually an infrastructure, a pipe or, or a sewer system, it's, it's buried. And for a political person um, – Coming up with the money, like I mentioned with Ellisville, they're paying for that sewer system, Ellisville, right now. Uh, some some elected officials do not necessarily want to do that. They're more concerned about being reelected. Mm-hmm. I, I remember in Bloomington a few years ago, we had what was called the Big Dig. I'm sure you <laughs> remember that, and it it basically drove a lot of people kind of crazy because you I know, couldn't get to uh, Chocolate Moose, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there were people that couldn't get to Nick's for a while, which was even worse. Of course, that's but, true. But um, those are things that I remember the mayor, you know, both Mayor Fernandez uh, when I think it was started, and the Mayor okay. Cruzan have all, often talked about how these aren't things that you really bank on for reelection because you know they're not. You know, the things that people don't really necessarily want to they're, – they're the infrastructure things that have to be done, but not any of the – That's you know. where planning – and obviously I'm a certified planner. I have to give a little little push on that. That's – we need to be looking ahead and actually 10, 20 years down the road on these projects, and they're very expensive. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, they, they are ex- expensive, and they, they do have rates that people – 
don't like to pay every month you get a bill. But if you really calculate the cost of providing this service to the residents, whether it's Bloomington or any number of other cities around the state, if you look at a per-gallon cost of providing clean and safe drinking water and removing the the wastewater, it's exceedingly cheap. Uh, Think about this. On on average, um, the cost of a gallon of treated safe, clean drinking water through the system here in Bloomington might be three-tenths of one penny per gallon. And then if you go to the store and buy a liter of bottled water, you're paying two fifty. Uh, it's a it's a great deal, and it's a great service. And one of the things to, that's very challenging for elected officials is to communicate the the incredible service they're actually yes. providing to their residents mm-hmm. for a, an exceedingly low cost per gallon. Because all you see is that high rate you pay every month. But right. playing devil's advocate here, a lot of people are on fixed income, and utility rates are something they have to pay. So how do you balance that? You know, I, I know that. A couple of years ago, Martinsville was considering, or it may have even been just this past year, considering a, a 40% increase and may just be a couple dollars a month. But for someone who's on a fixed income, that, that can be a lot of money. It, it, it's clearly um, an issue for people on fixed incomes. But in terms of prioritizations of what's important in life, I think public health ranks up there. If I have to spend a penny on something, it's going to be providing me with safe and clean drinking water and protecting my health. I'll do that first over my cable TV bill, which is pretty expensive, $180 a month, which probably is higher than what most people pay for water and sewer. And Bruno, that's a good point because uh, your, your cable fee will go up and people will not say too much about that. They want to watch those movies. Mm-hmm. So uh, the water that we have here on, on the desk is maybe a little bit important, more important than that movie. Mm-hmm. I have to give a little aside. Uh, the, the taste of Bloomington is tomorrow <laughs> and one of the booths, one of the booths is the city of Bloomington water utility, yes. which is, is going to be serving clean Bloomington water in, I think they're definitely recyclable cups or something as part of, I guess that might be one of the ways they're trying to explain to people how valuable they are. So our phone numbers again, 855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348 and WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. I might be going a a little far afield, but uh, I know Frank is very familiar with um, the Park Miller Showers Park in mm-hmm. Bloomington, which um, was developed as a, as a as a park, but as a partnership with uh, the city utility department because it serves per, uh, a water related purpose. I, think a, I don't know if it's stormwater, wastewater. Can you explain what that park does? Well, well, well part of that is a filtration issue. It's actually trying to get the water to uh, actually go through different filtering areas. Uh, actually, the open area with the green space, with, with the uh, uh, lily ponds and some of the other things, uh, that's why wetlands are very important to actually try to uh, take some of the uh, toxins out of the water as they go through. So that kind of helps with the stormwater issue as it, as it goes through. We we find that this this kind of thing is happening all across the country. Mm-hmm. People are investing in what they call green infrastructure to help reduce the amount of stormwater that's going to our sewers and help ensure that um, our combined sewers aren't overloaded and discharging raw sewage during rain events. And one way to do it is to help put in these green technologies that actually help filter the water before it actually goes through an expensive treatment system or prevents it from getting to the sewers in the first place. I don't know how uh, it's going over in a lot of these other communities, but here it was very controversial because people didn't understand it. Um, There was a a park-like setting out there, and then all of a sudden a lot of the trees were gone, new vegetation was going in, these different levels of pools were going in. People were like, that's a that's a park? What are you guys doing? I think people called it Fernandez Folly for a while. And um, But I, I think it obviously it serves uh, much more of a purpose than just being a pretty place. So That's true. That is true. And the other issue, too, obviously on systems is the infiltration issue. Uh, when you're actually treating uh, sewage, you don't want to treat rainwater. And, and some of the older systems be it in Brown County or elsewhere in the state of Indiana, will have some of that uh, rainwater seeping in to old systems. And then the cost is much higher than to treat that rainwater with the sewage. 
the uh, city of Indianapolis is in some places, if you go downtown, putting in what they call rain gardens. They're really just depressions along the road that the water can gather and be soaked into, and the plants take up the water so that it doesn't ever get to the sewer system, and the sewer system isn't overloaded with this water, which is essentially mm-hmm. clean water. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a really, it's a becoming much more popular and, in some cases, less expensive method of treating our water. Mm-hmm. Are, there, are there green solutions like that that... that rural communities can come up with, uh, you know, I'm mixing my waters, but uh, if a community has a bad um, sewage issue, are there ways they can do green technologies that might be short of, uh, you know, spending money on an entire new sewer system? Uh, I'm not sure that um, it they're necessarily short of um, spending money on a newer sewer system, but there are some communities, I'm thinking of Fulda in Indiana, that have um, put in place a constructed, literally they construct a wetland, and then um, they have all the septic tanks in that community discharge their waters to the to through pipes to the the constructed wetlands that take up a lot of the nutrients and then they take the remaining water which is much cleaner and discharge it in an area underground that feeds um, trees and other plants so it actually is taken up by those trees and so constructed wetlands are one way to help reduce costs of sewer systems or sophisticated treatment plants by putting in place a more green technology. Could you explain a little bit more about about these wetlands? I think a lot of people when they think wetlands they think you know marsh area, Florida, that kind of thing. Is this something that's natural to Indiana? Well, wetlands are are natural to Indiana, but the constructed wetlands are literally um, it, it's it's an area that's taken in. It could be a field and and planted with the with plants that will take up the waters. So it's like constructing um, a, a wetland in a in a specific location. Uh, and there, wetlands, the natural kinds of wetlands you see in bogs and marshes and other areas around the state, they, we, we don't mean for them to be used as wastewater treatment systems. They provide a valuable resource for animals and, um, and provide habitat for other living creatures that we want to keep in a, in a really good state. But the kind of constructed wetlands I'm talking about are, are literally deliberately created to ensure the treatment of wastewater. From a historical standpoint also, um, Indiana had a lot more wetlands in the past. Northwest Indiana, the Kankakee River Valley, basically was all a swamp, which they actually emptied for farmland. Now, I do have relatives up there, so they they do farms, so I can't go on that too much. But uh, the, the issue on this is that we've had it here in Indiana, and we've gone away from it. So when we have these different changes in climate, some other issues... Where there's more more pressure on on the water system, mm-hmm. the the wetlands that do exist in the state. Um, there's a regulatory program that is designed to protect those wetlands. So, for example, if someone wants to develop a piece of property and it has a wetland on it, uh, we see the wetland as a valuable resource, um, and so they'd have to get a permit if they're going to impact that wetland. That would require them to either create or protect other wetlands in a ratio that far exceeds the number of acres of wetlands that they're impacting. We call that our 401 program, and it's designed to help protect the wetlands that do remain in the state so that um, they do continue to provide their important ecological role. And you see that also with the Indiana Department of Transportation when they go ahead and put a project in that it might be a ratio of 3 to 1, 4 to 1, or 5 to 1 to That's actually right. to, to, to do that. Mm-hmm. All right. We're talking about uh, Indiana's water issues today. We're talking about stormwater um, and um, sewage, wastewater, uh, all sorts of things. And we'll probably talk about some drinking water here in the next next half of the program. Uh, we have uh, Bruno Piggott with, the, uh, with IDEM with us and Frank Nairwicki, who is a lecturer at Indiana University's uh, School of Public and Environmental Affairs. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back.
This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU with you by downloading our podcast directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, and short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Pick them up at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? The WFIU news team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Catch the Friday feature just after 8.30 during Morning Edition, just before Noon Edition, and at 5.45 during All Things Considered. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with Gretchen Frazee from WFIU and WTIU. And we're talking today about Indiana's water uh, system, water issues, anything uh, related to water. We're going to talk about it today. Uh, the guests with us in the studio are Bruno Piggott, the assistant commissioner for IDEM's Office of Water Quality, and Frank Nerwicki, who's a lecturer at Indiana University School of Public and Environmental Affairs and a, uh, a longtime um, employee of City of Bloomington and Town of Ellettsville. He's done a lot of municipal work and is very knowledgeable about all these issues, including infrastructure. So if you want to give us a call, you can uh, join us at 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Uh, this is the first day of summer, so swimming pools are they, – they open on Memorial Day, but they're, I'm sure, going to be busy and getting busier. So um, can you explain um, – and, Frank, maybe this is for you how, – how swimming pools are kept uh, monitored, I guess, for whether or not they have – Issues. Okay, this should be interesting. I'm a transportation planner uh, uh, originally. Um, I, I, I know the, the health department, the local health department is actually involved in testing that, and they do have a routine going around to the different swimming pools mm-hmm. and testing for different nasty things in, in, in the pools. And obviously, um, some of that, I'm not a scientist, but can be transmitted through the uh, skin and some other issues. So that's a very uh, important issue. And obviously, uh, something has to be watched very closely. Mm-hmm. Well, I turned it over to you because I know. of your municipal background. But uh, Bruno looked at me and Bruno. smiled. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about the lifeguards monitoring the young kids yeah. to make sure there's oh, yeah. no accidents in the pools. Right. Yeah. It is it is swimming pool time. Um, a lot of people are out there. My kids, I've got three of them, are out there swimming in the pools every day. It, and it's getting hot. It's going to be a hot weekend. So uh, communities and um City of Indianapolis, Bloomington, others that run pools are diligent about making sure that they appropriately treat um, to make sure the chlorine levels are appropriate and that um, if there is a problem that's established because somebody had an accident, that they they clean out the system. And they're very, very careful about that. Um, It is high season for that around the state. But in addition to that these days, you know, a lot of people are going out in the water in their boats and they're taking a dip over the edge in a, in a lake. And, and there's a couple things going on from a water quality perspective in, in the natural waters. One is um, those guys that, that go over and, and jump off their boat and, and land in the water and, and swim around might be concerned about algae levels. If you're in the water uh, because you're, you're swimming in your, your lake um, and you see green, goopy water, you, you don't want to be recreating in those areas. And you might wonder whether it's okay to. And I, I should let you guys know that the state of Indiana has a program where we're taking a look at 11 different 
um, swimming beaches around uh, the state um, that are run by, um, I believe it's DNR, um, to sample them for high algae levels because there is an algae called uh, cylindrospermopsis and blue-green algae, it's known as per, uh, popularly, that if you get in touch with it um, on your skin, you can develop rashes. It, it can have problems, and there have been stories in, in other states where it's um, widespread of the of the of this causing um, rashes amongst people and, and sometimes illnesses amongst animals. So I would just advise anybody who's out there uh, this weekend or any weekend to, to take a look and use common sense measures when you're in natural waters. Uh, wash off after you're done recreating. Make sure that you're safe when you're swimming. Use your life jacket. And, um, and we go out and we sample and we let people know on our website what what is the level of blue green algae look like in some of these swimming waters, and um, it, it just gives the public uh, some better information with which to determine where they should be out in the in the waters. Mm-hmm. We have three phone calls, so let's go first to Caroline. Caroline, um, hi. Um, yes, this isn't so much of an issue now because my kids are older, but. They love to play in creeks, or they used to, and I just wondered if the creeks in the state parks are safe, particularly I had heard when they built the school near McCormick's Creek that there was a problem with the treatment plant and that the creek in the park was not safe, and I just wondered if the Indiana parks, if somebody monitors those creeks for Pollution. Well, I can tell you in general terms how we deal with that. How do we monitor the quality of our streams to determine whether they're impaired for a pollutant like E. coli? We talked about that earlier on. And and we have a team of people at the state that go out and uh, sample our waters every year. We both do site-specific sampling, and then we go into different regions around the state. We collect information about the chemicals that are in the water, chemical composition of the water, whether there are pollutants like E. coli in the water, and um, what what's the fish population look like? Because we not only want to see whether it's it's okay to splash around the creek, but we also want to see what what kind of wildlife lives in that creek, and is it a really healthy, diverse uh, set of, um, of living organisms. And then what we do is, under the law, we're required to put together a list of, imp- of impaired waters. That is, waters that don't meet our water quality standards. And we publish that list every two years. So... Um, we put together a list of impaired waters in 2010. We'll do so in, uh, we did so in 2012, and every two years we come up with this list of impaired waters. And what does that mean? It means those are the waters that we need to pay some special attention to to ensure that we clean them up and make sure they meet water quality standards. So I can't specifically tell you whether the problem that you cited, ma'am, um, is actually solved. But what I can say is the state makes a big effort every year during the summer months to go out and sample those waters and determine what the water quality is like. All right. Thanks, Caroline. We appreciate the call. And our next call is from Susan from Brown County. Hi. Hi. I appreciate the show today very much. We do have a problem here, and I understand there's a big problem in Jennings County as well. One of the things I've found in doing some research is that um, communities can recycle urine and, and turn it into drinking water. It doesn't have to go into the sewage systems. And uh, they found, I found an article on Scientific American that you can use it for watering your gardens and so on and so forth. Unfortunately, it's illegal, I believe, in the state of Indiana to do that. And I've also found several other alternative-type systems that are allowed in lots of even the states adjacent to Indiana that they don't allow here. I'm wondering um, what we might do to get a little bit more uh, modern systems allowed here that would solve some of these problems. Well, I can't speak to, and this is Bruno Pickett from IDEM, um, I, I can't speak to 
uh, recycling specifically of urine. But what what I get the sense that you might be talking about is there are some places, if you go to Florida, for example, or out west where water is very scarce, they develop systems of water reuse. Some people call that water gray water. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's it's anything that um, uh, uh, is used already. It could include the water you use to um, uh, water um, your lawn. Uh, it could be used for other purposes. But it's water that you have used in your home that goes to a treatment system. And once it's been treated, it may be safe for watering your lawn with. And, and, and the caller's correct. We don't have a system of regulations that's specifically addressed to allow for water reuse in communities statewide. And, and part of the reason it's been developed in other states like Florida and Nevada and, and Arizona is because there's a scarcity of water. Some people would argue it, it really is a good idea to develop that regulatory structure so that you can reuse water that's been appropriately treated and and use it for tasks that you shouldn't use drinking water for. For example, you may not know this, but the water that you use to water your lawn is perfectly appropriate to drink. And that there's a cost to that. Wouldn't it be better, some would argue, that you use reused water to water your lawn with? It would be less expensive. It would be almost as clean and um, it would be a, a, a way to reuse the water that was used once. And I, I think that there is an argument to be made that we should look into that. Yes. Well, and I've also seen all kinds of systems for homes where you use the water from your sinks to, to flush the toilet. And, you know, not using clean water to flush your toilet. You can use water that you've just washed your hands in. I've even seen toilets that are these right immediately available today in Menards and places like that where they have a sink on top of the water tank. You wash your hands and the water goes in the tank and then that's used to flush the toilet. There's so much water wasted here that could be recycled. That's true. And I just don't understand why communities aren't starting to require some of those things in new buildings and remodels so that we can all start conserving and that would help with all these overloaded septic systems, which a good part of the stuff that goes in the septics is just water and urine that could be used, not even put in the septic, and be used to recycle and go down the ground. And you know, well, I, I think that's really a good point. I think from uh, this is Frank Nierwicky speaking. Um, the caller, uh, I think the one thing you're looking at is really starting a community conversation about this issue. Um, one or two individuals cannot actually make uh, change, but when you have a, a larger community involved and concerned about it, that's where you actually can get a, a, a change in, in the situation. As a planner, from a perspective of trying to get more involvement from the public, usually we just see people when they're upset. Uh, we don't see people when they're really happy about things. Unless, I don't know, Bruno, do you ever see people that are happy? <laughs> <laughs> no, but to, seriously, the, the, the issue here is that you need to have uh, community outreach to see what you need. You need what to do a, a capital improvement program issue on looking at uh, the cost that would be to actually to upgrade a system and exactly what kind of condition your, your system is right now. And in addition to that, there are, there are other factors that go into pushing um, this idea forward. One is last year was a really dry year in Indiana. And, and as you probably remember, it, it didn't rain much between, I think it was June and September. Oh, yeah, I'm very well aware of that. <laughs> and and, and that, that event or, or that drought helped to push the conversation forward. And, and people have been talking about employing these systems as a way to help um, our communities in the future to both meet drinking water demand and still allow people to water their lawns in drought conditions. Right, I understand. <coughs> we have been having conversations about this for years in Brown County. We had a big public <coughs> forum, I don't know, five years ago, where we had people from Purdue and from the state and the local health departments. And, um, you know, at that point, the state person from the health de- I guess it was a Purdue expert, Um, You know, I pointed out to him that there are systems that work here that we are not allowed to use, and 
in some counties like Brown County and Jennings County, the systems that are legal don't work. And it just seems crazy to me that you can't use it. It's illegal to use a system that will work, but it's not um, illegal to use one that won't work. (laughs) And this has been going on for a long time. We have the soil conditions here and in Jennings County where typical septic systems don't work that well. Um, And he explained that first. So my point is, I don't know what we need to do, but I don't understand why right now the local health departments and and building uh, inspectors and all can't start implementing new rules for new construction and remodels to help, you know, require that people use new types of things that will save them money, too. Well, uh, Susan, we're going to have to move on to the next person, but I think, I think uh, Frank definitely wants to respond to you. But. Well, one last thing, Susan. The, uh, the idea of actually having um, controls on water use and some other issues is, is something really good to talk about. That is something that needs to be done um, fairly soon in your community to actually try to get some action done. You, you have to be able to um, bring the community together because when you go ahead and change building permits, you're going to have the builders upset. Um, and you need to be able to have, when they're upset or some other communities or part of the community's upset, to understand the bigger issue that you're trying to address. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, Susan. Thank you. All right. We have another caller from Spencer this time. It's Jerry. Yes, uh, I have a question on the uh, E. coli levels stated uh, and indicated uh, high levels in Brown County. Uh, What portion of the E. coli is from humans and what portion is from wildlife? Well, this is Bruno Piggott from IDEM. I wasn't involved in it. I don't think we were the ones that conducted the sampling of that. But oftentimes, and I'll speak in generalizations because... I don't know the specific answer to your question, but what I can say is most of the time when you conduct a sampling for E. coli, you're not differentiating between the the, the E. coli that's coming from animals versus humans. Um, it's possible to do so, but it's very expensive. And so I would venture a guess, and it's only a guess, to say that the answer to that question that you pose is that the samples that the results they found they don't know we 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 do have a, a quick okay. um part of our interview without going back if you're just joining us we had talked to John Kennard the environmental health specialist for Brown County and he talked a little bit about what it would take to try to differentiate between what is animal and what is human waste and how to clean up both of those so let's go to him real fast We get rid of the septics overflowing in the creeks and whatever, and then we start to work on, with IDEM again, and working in animal waste. And, and we'll probably be talking to IDEM here over the next few weeks about, okay, what are we really looking into? What's it really going to cost if we need to try and start dividing out human waste from animal waste? Is, is the need so significant that we need to be able to determine that. And it's probably going to be a yes. It's We're going to be now wanting to spend millions of dollars to correct an action. Well, are you correcting a human action or an animal action? And if it's an animal action, sewer districts aren't going to help that. Uh, so, you know, we're going to be defining that as well. So over the next couple of months, we'll be doing more water testing in streams near uh, agricultural um, farmland. All right, Jerry, that's what we've got for you on that. So I appreciate, appreciate your call. And we're going to go to another caller who's been waiting for a long time to talk to us, uh, Derek from Bloomington. Derek? Hi. Um, I was wondering, there seems to be a perception of Bloomington about the Bloomington water supply, because whenever I go to a supermarket like Kroger or something, I see people just stocking up their carts with plastic water bottles, and I I can't get over that. <laughs> uh, that is such a tremendous waste in both the generation of the water and the irony is that a lot of that water is simply from tap water in, say, Texas or some other state. Um, and they relabel it and call it some groovy-sounding name, you know, like glacial water, and it's really tap water. So I wondered if you could address that. Is that a huge waste of water resources 
So let's suppose that's a billion-dollar industry. That could just about redo the infrastructure for a lot of small towns and cities. And I wondered if, A, is the water better from these bottled waters? And, B, I see a lot of people at B Foods doing the reverse osmosis uh, water deal. And I wondered if you could address the efficacy of that and filters in your faucet. Is that going to make our water a lot better than what we get from the tap? I'm sure that... Bloomington's not the only community. Uh, I live in Westfield, Indiana, and I go to the store, and there are just, you know, gallon after gallon of plastic water bottles uh, that are purchased by people. And I couldn't agree with you more. The the water that comes out of the tap that's treated by the Bloomington Waste uh, Drinking Water Treatment Plant, the Indianapolis Drinking Water System, it there are, are treatment requirements. The water is clean and safe. The people that run those systems have to report to you, the consumer, uh, on a regular basis about the quality of the water and any imperfections that might be in it. It's an exceedingly inexpensive, wonderful resource, and going out to the store to buy it at 100 or 200 times the cost yep. of it coming out of your tap just is um, not sensible. It, it, it's good, clean, safe drinking water. And and, and so I would say you're right. The, it, the whole industry of bottled water is one where it, it's creating an impression that it's somehow cleaner mm-hmm. when, in fact, the regulatory requirements of tap water are stronger. Right. And, and I'm actually, uh, this is Frank Nierwicki speaking, I'm actually a resident here in Bloomington. I have no problem drinking the uh, tap water. In fact, City Water has, has won awards over uh, a number of years on their quality here in Bloomington. So, um, yes, the water is very good here in Bloomington. I know. That's why I can't understand why people buy bottled water at about four times the cost of a gallon of gas. So. It, that's exactly right. <laughs> it, it, it's a very wonderful point. I, I will point out that while we're sitting here in the studio, we're drinking tap water. Yay! There's always a bottle of water on the city council desk. Yes. Drinking out of plastic. But what about my other question of osmosis? Is that really going to improve our drinking water? Filters like Bria and the others uh, and reverse osmosis. Can somebody discuss whether that's really a whole lot better? I, I, I can't I think that sometimes some of this is aesthetically different, yeah. that mm-hmm. some people claim that there's a taste different because of the right. the charcoal filters. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think that's a very personal um, thing. But the real question about whether it's clean and safe, uh-huh. it's absolutely clean and yeah. safe without that filter. Mm-hmm. Right. And I've actually heard that Bria filters might take out some of the good nutrients, too. So huh. you'll want to double check on that. But <laughs> but I have heard that as well. Do we have mineral content? I heard that uh, cities that have high mineral content are good because some actually. So is there mineral content in our water, like selenium and stuff like that? that is- I, I, I don't know the chemistry on that, but I, hmm. I do think we do have minerals in there. But yeah. uh, there, there are, and it depends on the on the source of the yeah. water. A lot of the water, a lot of the systems in this state receive their water from wells. Now, water is very clean, but it contains some minerals. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so, yes, um, some of the water contains minerals. Okay. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot for the call. Um, we have just about five minutes to go, so if you want to slide in a phone call, you probably can. 855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area, wfiu.org slash noon edition. Um, I wanted to uh, just sort of ask about capacity. I know you're mainly – we're talking about water quality. Right. But last summer there were some issues with uh, water – I don't know if it, you would call them water shortages or treatment plants that couldn't keep up. Um, is this a significant issue around the state? We uh, at the state of Indiana tracked uh, water – um, issues last year very closely because of the drought. And we met with a whole host of folks at the state of Indiana to make sure that there was enough fire protection and um, provision of clean and safe drinking water. And, and some people, uh, we found about 17 systems around the state that had issues with their water qu- quantity. 
how much. Mm -hmm. But most of those issues resulted from the fact that the peak demand of the water was a result of watering lawns. And once people put in place conservation measures over time, they found that they could provide plenty of adequate water for the citizens of their communities. Now, a few of them, seven of them, um, had issues with capacity, and a few had to drill new wells, um, and others um, near downstream of Patoka Lake had to uh, have a greater discharge from uh, the lake, the reservoir, to ensure that they had enough. But Far and away, most systems are just fine as long as people conserved waters during right. these dry seasons. Uh, all right. We, we think we have a phone call if uh, we can get to our next phone caller. We have a lot of people calling in at the last minute here. Right. So we, right. While we're waiting on that, you know, we do have our live chat going on online. So if we don't get to your call, feel free to go to that. That's wfiu.org slash noon edition. And we can try to answer your questions there after the show because we just have a couple of minutes here. Okay. Well, we, one last thing. I'll make a plug for uh, SPIA, School of Public Environmental Affairs. Um, we do have students that have capstone projects, and we've actually done some projects on watershed and some other issues. Uh, we had one. Uh, my group did uh, work with Bedford this, this uh, last semester, involved in their stellar uh, grant, which they did win, over mm-hmm. $20 million in Bedford. So we're going to be trying to work and keep our uh, outreach to communities. So that's something we're going to be looking at, too. All right. If we can uh, go to the phone now. Do we have our caller? Yeah, go ahead. As I was calling, I'm a local resident of Bloomington here, and I've actually had a um, transplant, so I have an uh, immunocompromised position. Mm -hmm. And every year when we get the water quality survey or the report from Bloomington's Waterworks, it talks about the cryptosporidium level and that there is some in the water, and uh, if you have an immune deficiency, you should talk to your doctor. And I was really just wondering how significant that problem was. All right. Bruno, can you address that at all? I, I, I and missed we've got the about last, 30 seconds last part of the question, how serious the problem is. Is that what your question was? Yeah, exactly how much cryptosporidium is in the water. Uh, and who, who, could uh, he, who could he call to talk to about that? You know, the, the Bloomington utilities, utilities uh-huh. can yeah. answer the question specifically. And, um, but, the, but we take great care to ensure that systems around the state are monitoring and do know the levels. And, and we have these maximum contaminant levels. You can't have it over a certain amount or else... Uh, the, the system has to make some other improvements. All right. We're going to have to direct you to call the city of Bloomington to ask them that question because we are out of time. I want to thank uh, Bruno Piggott for coming down from Indianapolis again today. Frank Nierwicki. Thanks, Frank. Good to see you again. Uh, Gretchen, great to be with you today. Gretchen Frazee has, has sat down as our co-host. And also uh, Mike Pashkash and Stuart Norton have been doing everything else today. So uh, thanks a lot for listening today. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. We'll see you next week. Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.